You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. created in the image of God, but that image has been tarnished by sin. That image has been tarnished by an association with an ungodly and unclean world. And that image has been tarnished by our own fleshly desires. Yes, we were created in the image of God, but that image is far from clear. It's been tarnished. So the main question that we're asking today is, do you know who you are? Many people think that since we're made in God's image, we must be little gods ourselves. Pastor Dave reminds us today that nothing is further from the truth. We were made in God's likeness, but we are nothing like Him, left to our own accord. When you find who you are in Christ, then you'll never question again. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 4, as he begins his message, Know who you are, know where you're going. are going to continue in our study in the Gospel of John, beginning a new chapter. Today we will be looking at chapter 4, a very familiar chapter to many of you. However, the Lord has given me a few things about this introduction that I would like to speak about. So if you'll open up your Bibles to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John, we're just going to read the first four verses as we begin this time with the Lord. If you found your place, I'm going to read aloud. Won't you follow along silently? Gospel of John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So let me start off this morning by asking several questions, if you will. Are you a Christian but feel powerless? Are you struggling with relationships? Or are you struggling with feelings of unworthiness? Do you have a destructive opinion of yourself? You know, I don't seem to measure up. Or or Do you seem to be having trouble loving others, let alone loving yourself? Well, I'm here to tell you that you're not the Lone Ranger. There are countless of Christians who feel that very way. It's as almost as if it seems that we've stumbled and seem to have lost our way. Our lives fail to reflect Jesus' promises of peace, love, and power. We see that in others, and we want that, but for some reason we just can't seem to have it happen in ours. And this becomes extremely frustrating to us. You are all very, very familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. They call it the love chapter, where the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about a kind of love that keeps no record of wrong. 
A kind of love that bears all things. A love that believes all things. A love that hopes all things. A love that endures all things. And that love that never fails. The Apostle Paul goes on to say that without that kind of love, no amount of knowledge, no adherence to doctrine, or no loyalty to faith, or no belonging to a church of any kind means anything. Without that love. So, I guess the next question we have to broach is, what could possibly be wrong? What could possibly be wrong that we can't seem to get that? Maybe it's a case of mistaken identity. Somewhere along the line, we have forgotten who we really are, and we have forgotten where we're going. As Christians... The reason we often lose the battle into temptation is because we don't know who we are. And the reason we don't know who we are is because we're getting our identity from the wrong sources. We're gathering information and our identity comes from the wrong source. For example, does your identity come from what other people say about you? Do you base on how you feel and how you live your life by what others think and say? Or perhaps your identity comes from what the world thinks. Or does your identity come from what you think about yourself? Where does your identity come from? Everyone, if you were honest, at some time in your life has asked this question, Who am I? Who am I? I believe this question desperately needs an answer because if we understand exactly who we are, it will determine how we live our life. Let me repeat that. If we understand who we are, it will determine how we live our life. And truth be told, there's only one who knows well enough to teach you who you really are. It's not your parents. It's certainly not your friends. The one who truly knows you is none other than your creator. He is the one who made you. And he is the only one that knows you well enough to teach you who you really are. Scripture says that we've been created in the image of God. But that image has been tarnished by sin. That image has been tarnished by an association with an ungodly and unclean world. And that image has been tarnished by our own fleshly desires. Yes, we were created in the image of God, but that image is far from clear. It's been tarnished. So the main question that we're asking today is, do you know who you are? And do you know where you're going? And as we look at today's scriptures, you're probably scratching your head and saying, where did he get this? But once again, we see the example of Jesus Christ. He's always our example as we look to scriptures. Jesus is always a glaring example of how we should conduct ourselves. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew where he was going. So as we look at our scriptures this morning, these four short verses, and I pondered over these a lot, and you can just blow right by them and read them as a narrative, which they are, and I'm trying to keep them in context, but the Lord spoke to me about some other things that I want to share with you this morning. As we look at chapter 4, it opens up with the word, therefore. Now, you know the phrase, word therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. You, you've all heard that before. 
The therefore in this phrase, in this chapter, verse 1, goes all the way back to verses 22 through 36 in John 3. The therefore is about the dispute that broke out between John the Baptist's disciples and Jesus' disciples about who was baptizing who and whom and about the purification process. These Jews were on John the Baptist's disciples. You remember the conversation I have? How come Jesus is baptizing more than John the Baptist? And the Pharisees wanted to start this contention. They wanted to start this battle between the two, this competition. They, they wanted to start this out. But we know in John 2.25 that Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. The Pharisees, they wanted to start a fight. They wanted to start a fight with Jesus. Why are you baptizing more than John? But Jesus didn't identify with their conflict. Jesus didn't have an identity crisis. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. And he knew what the Pharisees wanted. Jesus knew these things. He had knowledge of them. He was not going to play their game. Why? Because it wasn't his time. It wasn't Jesus' time. You remember what he told his mother back at the wedding feast of Cana. My hour hasn't come yet. We talked about that at length. He wasn't going to contend with them. He wasn't going to argue with them. He wasn't even going to challenge them at this point. Now, as we get further on in the scriptures, you know that Jesus did just that. He contended with them. He challenged them. He spoke to them, but not now. But not now. Now, as I read this, it came to my mind that this is Satan's big game. Satan loves this game, and you're the pawn. You're the pawn. He loves to get in our head and have us have an identity crisis. Let me give you some examples. He tells us that that person over there has a bigger car than you, and it's newer. It looks nicer. It's probably faster, too. That person has a bigger house than you do. You should get that house. That should be what you should strive for. That person's spouse is better looking than yours. That person's spouse does more for them than your spouse does for you. Now you're laughing because you probably have heard those things in your head at some time or another, if you were honest. These things come by us. So this, he, he wants to get into our heads, and he wants to drive us into identity crisis. And then what we try to do is we try to covet. Oh, man, I really want that car. And you go out and you buy this stupid car, and it doesn't satisfy. Oh, man, I really want that big house. You buy the great big house, and that doesn't satisfy. Oh, man, I need a better spouse. So you go out looking for that, and that doesn't work either. And you wonder why you're in this mess. Satan has caused you to have an identity crisis. Now, the world calls it a midlife crisis. I've had about six. Why does he do this? It's because we don't know who we are. We do not know who we are. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though he himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Jesus knew who he was. He knew the need for knowing who he was, and we need to know who we are in him. Do you know that you are loved by God? Do you know how much you are loved by God? Do you know that you are one of his children? Sadly, some of us are afraid of God, and we're afraid of him because of our sin. We think that God is angry at us. 
And maybe we believed the lie and turned away from God for some reason because we know he's just angry at us because of we sinned. Maybe we've chosen a path to walk upon and maybe we're in the flesh and now we're suffering consequences and because of the consequences, you think God is angry at you. You don't think it's your own doing that causes the consequences. You think it must be from God. But it's not. You need to be assured of God's love for you. We need to be assured of God's love for us. Jeremiah writing... His beautiful, beautiful book was writing to Jews who were in captivity. They had been carried away. They had been carried away, and he's writing to these guys, and he wants to assure them of God's love. He wants to assure them how much God loves them so that they can have and be encouraged to stand the fight and stand the battle that is happening in their lives. And he writes these beautiful words. Many of you can quote them by memory. He says this in 29.11. Come on. I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found of you. What a beautiful scripture. You have that probably somewhere in your house. It's probably taped to your refrigerator. You probably write it. And anytime somebody's having a problem, you probably go, oh, Jeremiah 29.11. And you quote it out wonderfully. He was writing that because the Jews were in captivity. They were being held captive by a faraway place in Babylonia. They were being held captive. He said, hey, don't forget about God because God loves you. And that's what I'm telling you today. We need to know who we are. In the midst of everything you're going through, God loves you. And he does know the thoughts he has for you. Have you ever wondered about the thoughts of God? Scripture says it's more than a thousand seas and thousand sands in the seas. God thinks nothing but good things towards you. But you might ask, what is the assurance of God's love towards us today? That's Old Testament, Dave. Well, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can glean on what he promised Israel. We can glean on that because now we're his chosen people. But I'm here to tell you that there is no greater proof of God's love for you than a cruel, gnarly, wooden cross. If you need more proof of God's love for you, well, then I don't know if I can help you. A cross meant to kill is our victory. A cross, a wooden cross, is the greatest example of God's love ever. And if we accept Jesus' sacrifice on that cross, if we accept that, he clearly tells us in John 1, 12, as many as received him. Who? Jesus. As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Wow. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. We need to be assured of who we are in Christ. When you became Born again, do you realize that something transpired? Do you realize that something happened when you said that prayer, when you believed with all your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Do you know something really happened then? Something transpired? Well, if you don't, I'm going to tell you. Paul writing to the Galatian church, he says these incredible words, these incredible words in Galatians 2, verse 20, 
Paul writing, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. Wow. You realize what transpired? Paul says, I'm living a new life now. My old life was predicated upon the works of the law. My old life was self-centered. My old life was filled with strife, envy, jealousy, crazy spiritual things. But it's no longer I. And what a glorious day when I can stand here and say, it's no longer Dave. It's no longer I. Because now my life is centered around Jesus Christ. Not only is it centered around Jesus Christ, it is entirely in Jesus Christ, for Christ is my life. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to die and get out of the way and become this new person in Jesus Christ is such gain for me. He's the center of my life. I'm no longer on the throne. Been there, done that, got the things on my behind to prove it. I'm no longer on the throne. He is. He's enthroned in my heart. He's my life. I'm no longer to seek to please myself. I seek only to please him. And so I'm not the man that I used to be. That man has died. He's been crucified with Christ. Do you see what we're getting at here? We need to have that knowledge of what took place on that cross. We need to have that knowledge in us. We need to be aware of who we are in Christ. It needs to become our life. It needs to become who we are. We are Christ. That man died, the old man. The old self-centered Dave has died and crucified with Christ. The God-centered Dave now lives. But I live by faith in Jesus who taught me and loved me and gave himself for me that I might have this new life. New spiritual relationship with God. I might have spiritual life. But this is who I am. This is who we are. We need to know who we are. And we need to count on who we are. One commentator said this about that passage. Quote, Paul realized that on the cross, a great exchange occurred. He gave Jesus his old, try to be right before God by the law life, and was crucified on the cross. Then Jesus gave Paul his life to live. Christ came to live in him. So Paul's life isn't his own anymore. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He is simply managing the new life that Christ gave him. I love that. I love that. So be us. So be us. I'm just managing this new life that Christ has given me. That's who I am. We sing a song, good, good father. I am loved by him. It's who I am. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. But we sing that song. We need to realize that. And why do I know this? Because the word of God tells me so. God's word tells me so time and time and time and time again. Peter didn't want to be left out of the picture. So he got into the fray too. And he tells us who we are in Christ. Peter tells us this in 2 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter declares this. Peter says, hey, these things that I'm telling you, they once were exclusively Israel's. They once were exclusively for the Jew only. The election, being chosen by God, the priesthood, the calling, now they're no longer only the property of Israel. It's what we are now, too. They are the property of every Christian, and we even have them in a greater sense because of the Holy Spirit. He says, you're a royal priesthood. 
Now, back in the Old Testament days, the royalty and the priesthood were separated. They couldn't be one. They had to be separated. But Jesus, who is not only our king, he's also our priest, has brought them together for us. And we are a royal priesthood, he says. We're own special people. Now, you got to love the original King James. It says we're a peculiar people. I don't think I'm going to go there. So anyhow, we'll move on. We belong to God. We are his. That makes us special. Have you ever really wanted to feel special? If you can't feel special about this, I don't know what you can feel special about. This makes us special. Go to a museum and you see all kinds of things. You see hats and canes and suits and chairs and stuff like that. And what makes them significant? Because they belong to someone famous, we think. But God takes ordinary folk, just like you, just like me. And he takes us to himself through Jesus Christ and he deems us special. He deems us famous. He deems us his love, the apple of his eye. We were once without these privileges. We didn't have these privileges before. We were not even a people before God. But God in his infinite and rich mercy has now given that to us. We can receive it because it comes through a cross. This is our new identity. This is who we are. Do you know that? Does it really make a calling in your life? Can you really look at that and go, yes, this is who I am. This is really and truly who I am. Oh, what a difference it'll make in your life if you can grasp that, if you can take it in and, and contemplate on it and let that seep in where it needs to seep. What a difference it'll make in your life. Jesus knew who he was. He knew it was in the heart of man, especially the Pharisees. So he departed in verse 3. He left. He wasn't going to mess with them, not at this time. But Jesus also knew where he was going. Verse 4, which is our focus verse, says, but he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. And in the original King James Version, it says, he must needs to go to Samaria. And there's a reason why they use that phrase, must needs. It means it was necessary. It was necessary. And you think about that word must. You think about the word must as we went through chapter 3. You must be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up. He must increase and I must decrease. It is necessary. It is very, very necessary. Jesus needed to go to Samaria. It was necessary for him to go there. He knew where he was going. He left Judea and he headed towards familiar ground. He went into the homeland, Galilee. And although the road through Samaria was the shortest route to Galilee, most of the Jews at that time went the long way around because they were in contempt of the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They were the ones that were left over after the captivity because when the Babylonians came in to take captive Israel, they only took the choices of the people. Those that they didn't think fit their scheme of things, they left there. They were the has-beens, so to speak. They were the ones that didn't measure up, so they left them there. You are the Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. 
Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as I Am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.